0: Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1216, air date May 25th, 2023. All right. Can you guys hear me? Test. Let's just do, do a sound check. Can people hear me all right? Testing one, two, three. It's using a different mic. John, can you check if you can hear me, please? please. Yes? Yes. All right, good. All right. So we had a little bit of a sound problem. Anyway, uh, welcome. Uh, this is Dr. Shivajdre. As I mentioned, today's talk is going to be about the Harvard and Yale uh, cabal that uh, tends to run government at very, very deep levels. and. The talk here is we have an opportunity not to elect these people. And you're going to see the depth of how much these people are involved. And it's basically a closed cabal. And we, we tend to think that um, uh, these people who come from these universities um, are somehow independent people. But unless you really, really uh, probe them and you really understand where they're coming from, you'll find out that many of uh, the people who actually are deeply involved in leadership positions in the United States government come out of these two universities. Obviously around these two, like Harvard and Yale, there is the other universities, um, which serve as sort of CIA imperialist think tanks, including, let's say, Georgetown, Stanford. But primarily in the United States, it's Harvard and Yale. That's sort of the elite of the elite institutions. And they have a direct connection to Oxford. So I want to share with you some of that data, so you guys are armed to share this with other people. In fact, in the current presidential election, you have a number of Harvard and Yale people running. Um, and you need to check these people out because what they've learned to do is they know how to talk the talk. They're very clever at talking the talk. But fundamentally, they all come from the same ilk, which um, is to essentially um, consolidate power, profit and control. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, again, the goal of this talk is to provide you with foundational knowledge so you can use it uh, out there to um, uh, make decisions and help other people make decisions. So they don't see these people as independent agents. The, the diagram that I wanted to share with you, um, over here is an interesting diagram. It's a very simple diagram. You got a wind coming on a structure on a building. And let's say that building represents a skyscraper and the wind is coming at some force. Um, it's a very, very, what may seem as a simple problem, but in civil engineering or mechanics, most of what you do is solving these very basic problems. You have to build structures. In fact, all of modern society is made up of building structures, airplane structures. You can think about all the things, but typically you have to do the physics to understand um, what should be the strength of that structure. How much uh, wind can it bear? What should be the resonant frequency around it? There's a lot of very, very interesting dynamics. And, um, When you go, uh, when you do engineering or you're a plumber or electrician, but fundamentally engineers like myself, are basically um, high tech tradespeople, but we actually have to solve problems every day. What's uh, very powerful, particular about engineering, in fact, more than science is engineering is a discipline. You can't bullshit people because if you do structures fall down, things don't work. And it's a very, very real field. Um, to get into an engineering school like MIT. In fact, MIT uh, is part of the military industrial complex, but the nerds who go to MIT, uh, or to get into institutions like that, it's not subjective. It's very, very objective by and large, which means you have to be able to solve a problem like this. If someone asks you, um, what is the resonant frequency uh, of that building, or what is the amount of uh, shear force or normal force that that building can handle? These are very foundational questions that you can't bullshit your way through. You can't be a lawyer, you can't be talking stuff, you can't come from a very wealthy family and think you're gonna be able to answer those questions. You have to be able to answer these questions, all right? And so in many ways, engineering science is a very objective science, but more importantly, you have to put in your time, you have to work hard. And to give you my background, frankly, I didn't even know about MIT, which is the number one engineering science, um, engineering school in the world until two weeks before I applied. I was a, a number one kid in science and engineering out of, of, out of a, a school of 900 kids. And I got there by working very, very hard, busting my chops. I went to a predominantly uh, all Jewish high school the last three years. It was the uh, public school where they had the best school system, So My parents uh, moved there. Um, and even though I was the number one kid there, no one told me about MIT. It was a lot of jealousy. Um, as you know, unfortunately, um, a lot of my Jewish friends are brought up with this view that they're the chosen people of God and only they can be intelligent. It's a very, very racist viewpoint and they actually know this and they knew about it. So when I was growing up, it was uh, a brown skinned kid uh, who could do better them, um, was not supported. So I didn't know about MIT randomly because my mother had helped these two homeless uh, women and one of them had an interesting friend who was a crazy mathematician guy. And he said, I should go here. And literally two weeks before the applications were due, I applied and I got in. And when I came to MIT, I, th- I thought these people were crazy. I had no interest in going there. The, these 17-year-old kids looked like they were 90-year-olds. They had all sorts of ticks and random uh, things, habits that they thought by having those habits that made them intelligent, high-pitched voices, very interesting characters, you know, And but they develop these characteristics. So I had no interest in going to MIT. It was only after one of my high school teachers said, you like Boston, it's really a center of all sorts of things, that I decided to go to MIT. But anyway, my life at MIT was not um, most of the coursework I'd already learned in high school. I had two, um, I had enough courses to graduate MIT in two years. I spent most of my life uh, raising hell, understanding systems science, which we teach at Truth, Freedom, Help. So, but in in the field of engineering, you have to solve problems. Engineers solve problems. They have to create things at scale. This is why I said Elon Musk is really not much of an engineer. He's got 40 billion bucks and he can't build a Twitter space that can handle lots of users. So God knows what he's doing, but he's definitely not a serious engineer. Um, But engineers, we solve problems. Particularly to get an MIT PhD, it's not so easy. 50% of the people go through the MIT PhD engineering program fail the qualifying exams. Um, So I know the rigor it takes and the amount of effort it takes, but you build a mind to solve problems. Yet, not one MIT PhD has been president of the United States. Who has been president of the United States? You'll find a, a huge number of people, a disproportionate amount, have been Harvard and Yale people. So if you look at it from the lefty approach, who talk about diversity, well, I would argue that it's not diverse. If people get into being president, it's a very, very uh, uh, same pedigree of people. And if you're talking from a right wing perspective, you're for open markets and capitalism. They violate antitrust laws because it's the same set of monopolistic people who control it. And to give you an idea of this, I just want to share with you some key facts that you can. Walk away with here today, so it gives you the understanding of the level. There's so many things we can share, but I just want to walk you away with some key attributes here. Okay, so let's begin with the fact that Harvard fundamentally is a—it's uh, really a, a think tank for U.S. imperialism, along with Oxford University in England. Now, it was founded before the American Revolution. Think about what I'm saying. It was founded nearly a hundred and. Um, uh, 40 years before the revolution. So the British, British colonialism founded Harvard. And we have to keep one thing in mind. It's not like when the revolutionary war ended, um, and the, these people who fought for the bill of rights and all these things, it's not like after they beat up the British that the British got in their boats and they went back to England. They didn't, they essentially embedded themselves deeper in places like, Harvard and Yale, because these were the institutions where they started. So the intellectual elite took one step forward and they took two steps back. And the intellectual elite thought is what guides action. So the intellectual elite continued their dominance in places like Harvard and Yale. And these people are literally those people, which I've talked about before, who do not like the First Amendment. They have the view that a few people know better than the rest of uh, humanity. So even though we got these Bill of Rights in the United States, these elites embedded themselves in institutions like Harvard and Yale. And from those institutions, they control the thought framework or they work very hard to control the thought framework of the American public. And let me share with you some more details of this so you understand the level of collusion that's here. First of all, um, when you get an understanding that the uh, Harvard is the think tank along with Yale, uh, as you know, our lawsuit, for example, Uh, discovered that the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs is where the Defending Democracy project started. And they're the ones who created the playbooks so they could create the censorship infrastructure that I discovered in our lawsuit in 2020. So think about what I'm saying. It was at Harvard University where they hatched the entire government backdoor portals to Twitter and all social media companies. All of that was architected at Harvard. And as many of you know, if you go to winbackfreedom.com, I developed this huge diagram explaining that long before the plagiarist Matt Taibbi and the Twitter files guy stole our stuff and tried to hijack it because they don't want to give credit to the fact that I was the one who developed it independent of the left and the right. But anyway, but the key point is it was at the Harvard Kennedy School. I remember 1980 when the Kennedy School was being built, all of us knew it was a CIA center. Kennedy. And you have to understand that the Kennedys are at the center of U.S. imperialism. John Kennedy was a complete scumbag. He was reckless. They've tried to make him into some great hero, but he was, he had no loyalty to anything but himself. And as Seymour Hersh said, his recklessness is what almost got the United States uh, involved in a nuclear war. He's the one who got us involved in Vietnam. He's the one who created the 1962 Vaccination Act. But the Kennedys and Harvard go hand in hand. As you can see here, um, and the alumni: John Kennedy, RFK Jr., Robert Kennedy went there. Robert Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. went there. And you can see the assortment of all the other people who are there: Barack Obama, Henry Kissinger, Jared Kushner, Michael Bloomberg, Ben Bernanke, John Roberts, um, I, I, RFK, the 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 son, the the sorry, the 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 uh, father of RF Kennedy Jr. etc. George H. W. Bush, George Bush. Uh, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, they went there, but they dropped out. Why is that important to mention those guys? You see, when you go into one of these institutions, you get access to an entire network. You're part of the club. And it's important to recognize that 40% of admissions to Harvard are legacy admissions. What does legacy admissions mean? Legacy admissions means that you don't have to work hard. You give enough money and donations, mama or papa makes a call to the head of admissions and you're in. Okay, that's called legacy admissions. So think about what I'm saying. Forty percent of the admissions to Harvard are not based on merit, not based on whether you can, you know, uh, solve a problem like the one I just shared, like uh, the one up there. Right. I don't think any one of those guys could solve this problem. Very basic problems that you learn as an engineer. They got in there because mom or papa called them and they get access to a network. If Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates had dropped out of some state college, I guarantee they could not have built Facebook to the companies it was, or Microsoft, because they would not have had access to that network. Steve Ballmer, who um, essentially was a sales guy, who's now who became, later became the president of uh, uh, Microsoft, was uh, Gates's roommate. So you see, it's a click, and you got to really understand this. So when you say you go into Harvard, some people tell you the hardest thing is to get into Harvard. Well, get in means you have to have the network. George Bush. Uh, uh, w. Bush was a complete moron, as most people, if you talk to them, will tell you, okay? But these guys get in because they're part of a clique. So just think about what I'm saying. Do all people at Harvard bad people? Well, maybe not, okay? It's a generalization, but by and large, you get access to a network. And, you know, as the soil is, so is the fruit of that soil, right? Right? So these people are part of that network. And if you, again, go look at this list, you will see the quality or the lack of quality of people who've gone here or the pedigree. Charlie Munger, who's on Berkshire Hathaway's, you know, the uh, uh, co-leader with um, um, uh, Warren Buffett. Jared Kushner, father gave $2 million. Uh, and while Kushner was going to Harvard, he was basically running slums here in Somerville, Massachusetts, Bloomberg uh Bern, bernanke john roberts is a supreme court justice merrick garland okay left and right mitt romney joseph p kennedy senior okay uh neil de grace tyson a foolish idiot he's not even a scientist uh, fdr ruth bader ginsburg bill gates so on um and this is just a few of them but just when you think about this think about harvard as a think tank for u.s imperial imperialism it's a club for the elites and this is where the club um, and cultures itself, and they make their contacts and their network, and this is how they get to be successful, not because of merit, but because they became part of the club. Um, as you can see, uh, Ron DeSantis went there. I think his name is there, right? DeSantis should be there. There he is. So, in fact, you'll find out Ron DeSantis went to Harvard and Yale. One of the other brown guys that they dug up to essentially take uh, some uh, some traffic from us, uh, Wiebeck or w- whatever his name is, uh, a Brahmin guy. He also went to Harvard and Yale. All right. So these people are part of a network top down. They do not fundamentally believe in the first amendment. They believe that they know better. Let's go over to Yale and you'll find out the, the, uh, reality of Yale is not that different. Yale was founded in 1701, right? Uh, 85 years before the American revolution. It's also a think tank for U.S. imperialists, but also the CIA. Ron DeSantis also went there. Janet Yellen, George Herbert Walker Bush, Barbara Bush, Gerald Ford, Anderson Cooper, Chris Cuomo, Dick Cheney, John Kerry, Bill Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton, George W. Bush, Fareed Zakaria from CNN, and the list goes on. They have a secret society, uh, John Kerry, uh, and a number of these people, George Bush, all belong to that society. Three of the CIA directors, from H.W. Bush to Porter Goss, to James uh, Woolsey all went there. But again, Yale Law School, um, uh, Yale undergrad, Harvard Law School, Harvard undergrad is the foundations of building these imperialist, globalist leaders. More importantly, if you look at the Supreme Court, eight out of nine come from Harvard and Yale. And here they are, John Roberts, Elena Kagan, Neil Gorsuch, Ketanji Jackson, all are from Harvard Law, and the other four justices, Clarence Thomas, Samuel, uh, Alito, Sonia Sotomayor, Brett Kavanaugh are all from Yale. Uh, I think Amy Coney Barrett is the one out of, I think, Notre Dame. But think about what I'm saying. These people are all friends. They're one degree or zero degrees of freedom away from each other. They're part of this very, very close clique. And you and I are not part of it. So when I wanted to talk about this, um, if you now go look at where wealth creation came from, 30,000 businesses, Came from MIT alumni. In order to go to MIT, by and large, by and large, and I don't um, want to, um, you know, idealize this. You have to know your stuff. You know, I got eight hundreds on my SATs, uh, which means a perfect score on my math. But I busted my buns when I. You have to do lots and lots of problems to do well. You have to be able to solve stuff. So what's fascinating is here, an MIT graduate in my case, I have four degrees from there, um, knows how to solve problems. Can anyone tell me if any one of these politicians can solve this very simple problem, a wind is coming and it's gonna hit a building, what should the structural qualities of that building be? And the reason this is important, let me tell you, by way of example, when I first came to Boston, there's a building, um, John, maybe you can bring a picture of it, the Prudential Building, or the John Hancock Building, it's a blue building, John in Boston, that blue building in Boston uh, was built um, uh, with all these beautiful uh, windows. Can you find it, John? It says blue building, John will bring it up. Um, And that building uh, was built and it had some serious problems. Windows were popping out of it, okay? And the reason these windows were popping out of it because the structure of the building, by the way, every structure in the universe, every system has what's called a resonant frequency. That means it has a certain vibrational frequency, which is a frequency of that structure. So, for example, you have ever seen that example of an opera singer um, singing a note, and if it's the same frequency as a wine glass, you see the wine glass shatter. Well, anyway, um, the building, uh, the you got it up, John? Okay, um, the 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 uh, the uh, building that was built in Boston, um, the windows were popping out. In fact, the windows, uh, when a certain wind would come, the windows would pop out. That's why I wanted to share this diagram with you because this is a serious problem. Um, a very important MIT PhD, uh, Den, there's a building and that's a building and windows were popping out. They were falling, it was getting quite dangerous. And Den Hartog, who's a professor at MIT was brought in to solve this problem at MIT PhD. And he found out that it was because when the building was built, the structure of the building Um, could match the resonant frequency of the wind in that area. A lot of people don't know, but Boston is truly a windy city. It's it's more windy than Chicago. People used to think Chicago was a windy city. The only reason Chicago is called a windy city is not because of the wind, but because of the politicians who, who just talk a lot, okay? It blowhards. But Boston is actually windier. And so when that building was designed, they did not take into account the resonant frequency of the wind. And what Hartog did was he uh, figured out a way to change the resonant frequency of that building. And in fact, what they did was, I think on the 50th floor, they literally put in rails and they put in, um, uh, uh, essentially weights that would vary, that would move to change the resonant frequency of the building. Anyway, a whole bunch of many, many important structural dynamics came out of that work so for example a lot of the buildings that are built in tokyo where they have earthquakes are literally built on these rails and the building's frequency can change it's called active or passive control but anyway we as engineers have to solve problems and that is what um, a nation should have the leader should be able to solve problems the founders of the united states be it washington who was a surveyor, or jefferson or franklin these people were engineers uh, uh you know trades people, they knew how to solve problems. I don't believe any of these people who are running for office, Trump, DeSantis, Biden, who else do we have, any of these people, Tim Scott, actually have ever solved a problem. All they know is to be blowhards and talk. So I want to challenge everyone to ask ask you, why would you why would we keep electing these Harvard Yale people when someone like me exists who spent his whole life working hard solving problems? And just to give you by uh, some economic numbers, you know, 30,000 businesses came out of hardworking engineers from MIT. And those 30,000 businesses now generate $2 trillion per year to the United States GDP, $2 trillion. So 10% of the U.S. GDP comes from people who solve problems. That's quite a bit. So the question comes, why would we ever think about electing a disproportionate number of Harvard and Yale people at all, knowing that they are part of the deep state? And I don't care what they say. These people, when you look at the facts, are the deep state. Um, John, can you stop sharing that so I can go back? So I'm going to just share the screen again. And you need to really understand that uh, when you look at these things, the Supreme Court... Eight out of nine. What percentage is that? What is eight divided by nine? Is it nearly ninety percent? Right? Ninety percent of the Supreme Court is made up of Harvard and Yale people. Eighty-eight point eight. Huh? Eighty-eight point eight. Thanks. Eighty-eight point eight. Okay. Eight-eight-eight. Uh, okay. Eighty-eight point eight percent of the Supreme Court is made up of Harvard and Yale people, and so that means they're thinking. Think about. You don't really have diversity of thought. They all are taught to think the way, same way. They all uh, uh, conclude in these decisions. They all hang out together. They all went to the same cafeterias. They all had the same professors. They all went to Martha's Vineyard or, you know, to the same places. They all, they all, they're, they're one family. So why would we want that same group? If we really want change, fundamental systems change, why would we elect these same people? And that's at the Supreme Court level. Um, And so that means the Harvard and Yale people keep appointing these people because they're part of a clique. All right, so we really need to understand that. And again, when you go to Harvard University, it was started before the American Revolution in 1636 and Yale in 1701. So these people are pre-American Revolution, at least a minimum of, um, of 80 to 100 years before the American Revolution. So if we want change, we have to realize the operating system of who we put into office and who they represent fundamentally has to change. So again, ask yourself, why would we keep electing Harvard and Yale people? And why is it they get so much preeminence? Why is it suddenly they get to be have so much visibility? And again, if you go back to this chart, you will see very, very clearly that they're part of a clique. So if you go to Harvard, right? One phone call away, the alumni call their people to get them because they know people at CNN and Fox, et cetera. Same here at Yale, right? Fareed Zakaria will put his own friends on. So whether it's Harvard, Yale, um, whether it's uh, uh, the people in power, um, in media, or in academia, they're all one degree or zero degrees of freedom away. A friend of mine once said that you can trace every major economic disaster to a Harvard or Yale professor. That's at the core. Yes, so you have institutions like Georgetown, Stanford, but they're really one level around that. But please consider this and educate your friends that it's time that we move away from this mafia, um, non-diverse, to your left people, you can tell them, and to your monopolistic, to your right-wing people, you can tell them that, that run the world, frankly. And the same thing, you can go look at England and you can look at the people that come out of Oxford and Cambridge. So Yale and Harvard in the U.S., Oxford and Cambridge in the United States. All right, everyone. So that's what I wanted to let everyone know about. We will uh, put this out there, right, John, for everyone to see. But let's take some questions if people have any. Anyone have any questions, John? Maybe you can ask some questions. So to our small group of people, um, we can take some questions. Any questions? Uh, So Hamza Amir said all of those guys are pro-Israel and Israel first. Definitely. So, you know, you know, as president, one of the things I want to do on the question of Israel is I believe the people of Israel want their own self-determination. They deserve to stand up on their own two feet. And I think we really need to let Israel do that. Why is it every U.S. president always wants to subjugate Israel and give them so much funding and make them suck off America's titty? I think we should completely let Israel, um, you know, uh, uh, the Jews of Israel, have repeatedly said they're the smartest people on the planet so I think it's really important we support Israel self-determination what do you think John yeah right we should support Palestinian self-determination we should support the self-determination of all countries and that would be my policy cut them loose stop funding Israel stop funding all these uh, countries uh, let them stand up on their own two feet by the fact that we fund countries we don't let them solve their own problems we enable a lot of collusion to take place but you're absolutely right all of these guys are of the policy they want to make um, Israel a slave to the United States. And we have to let Israel be free, right? We must free Israel from US imperialism. Uh, How do you feel about David Icke and Stu Peters? Yeah, so here's a problem with David Icke, Stu Peterson and David Icke. I mean, David Icke talks about reptiles and crap like that. Uh, But the bottom line is both of these guys have been promoting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. My view is the litmus test is if any one of these people are promoting Robert F. Kennedy Jr ask yourself, Elon Musk, or they're promoting uh, uh, Donald Trump, all right? You have to really ask him because these people are the not so obvious establishment. Why is Ike promoting Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? Why? And I would argue there's, you have right now a neo-establishment forming. You have the Elon Musks, the Tucker Carlson's, the Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s, the Trumps all coming together to act as though they're fighting for the interest of working people. All of these people are top down. Why is David Ikey promoting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. when he knows that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has openly said he believes in full vaccination of all Americans, then with his other forked tongue, he's a forked tongue serpent, talks about how corrupt the CDC and the U.S. institutions are, right? And then says, oh, he's going to expect them to create safe vaccines. Ikey, in my view, is talking a good game, but the reality is he's supporting the Kennedys, so something's loose in his brain, okay? Or, or, or otherwise, he needs to explain himself. Um, Minister Louis Farrakhan and what is it? Nation of Islam. A nation that don't like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Okay, well we'll see. But we got to understand, the Nation of Islam is the one that executed, uh, along with the CIA, Malcolm X. Okay, so it's not like the uh, Nation of Islam is you know clean. All right. Um, and that's a whole nother discussion. But the bottom line is um, if Minister Farrakhan wants to come out and support what we're doing and he wants to expose Kennedy, great. But he has some serious problems and he has to make a lot of uh, amends um, for what the Nation of Islam did to Malcolm. But regardless, we have to also recognize someone like Stu Peters, he had me on, and then he's also part of this opportunist framework. You have all these people who wait and they watch. They don't say what needs to be said at the right time. When Stu Peters, when David Icke, call out Robert Kennedy now, not wait, then I will have some faith in that. What's the next question, John? All of these guys want to sanction South American countries. Uh, that's probably true. They're part of the slave master cabal. Are you familiar with the Jones plantation allegory regarding slavery? No, I'm not. I don't know which uh, allegory that is, but maybe you can share more of that, David Flint. Um, Anything else? How do you feel about, uh, what is this one? Um, What's your opinion of South America being sanctioned? Uh, I'm not sure what he means, South America being sanctioned. Maybe you can uh, expand on that. I think he was referring to the um, uh, economic policies of the United States. Against the South American countries? Yeah. Yeah. Look. Uh, we have to understand that it was during the Kennedy administration this anti-quote-unquote communist rhetoric started, which was really the beginnings of promoting U.S. imperialism. And essentially, South America was the colony of the United States. Um, in Chile, it was during the, um, you know, the 50s and the Kennedy administration that we promoted people like uh, uh, like Pinochet, who butchered his own people because to support anaconda copper mines down there. We abuse the people of Cuba. Cuba was basically being used as a whorehouse for American uh, businessmen. Right. And when they wanted to rise up immediately, all this rhetoric goes against them. Right. If you go look at John F. Kennedy, he's the imperialist of imperialists. But they had all this PR that was used to try to frame him as some great Camelot. He was a complete scumbag. His entire family is a bunch of scumbags. But because of the ability that they had because of Joseph P. Kennedy, Sr., the father who really knew how to use PR, they used PR to reframe the scumbag Kennedys as some noble group. They're not noble at all, they're ignoble. But they're the ones who really um, started all the problems in South America. And if there is, quote unquote, an immigration issue, you can trace it right back to the Kennedys. The Kennedys are the ones who created all the conditions Um, in South America, and then you have Kissinger coming in um, uh, under Nixon, who exacerbated that, created the domino theory, and they basically enslaved the people of South America. So the people of South America, who were enslaved by butchers and dictators of the United States supported, now want to come to the land, and then we call them, uh, you know, illegal immigrants. The reality is that neither the Democrats or the Republicans want to solve the issues of immigration. The Democrats love illegal, quote unquote, illegal immigration because they use those people for cheap labor and uh, I'm I'm sorry, for votes. And the the Republicans love those people coming because they get cheap labor and they get to boost up the profitability of Wall Street. But fundamentally, both of these people are responsible for the subjugation of people in South America. Are the Kennedys and Bushes working together behind the scenes? Obviously. Come on. They're all one, they all hang out together. They all, their children go to the same horse farms, their children go to Harvard and Yale. They're all one big family. You have to start thinking about this as families. That's what they are. They may have some disputes from time to time like mafia families do, but you and I are not part of their family, okay? And that's why I wanted to share this thing with Harvard and Yale to give you a glimpse of these people are part of the same family. And if you're part of that family, you may have some disagreements, but you will get visibility on TV shows and all this kind of stuff, okay? And that's what they're about. Anything else, John? I think we have to wrap up. All right, everyone. So anyway, at 8 p.m. shortly, I'm gonna, we're gonna be doing our town hall, which is gonna follow, and we're gonna stream that out live, right, John? To everyone. Yeah. And, um, and so please join us there because we're gonna teach people, I'm gonna do a town hall on the economy. So thank you, everyone. Be well, be the light and go to truthfreedomhealth.com, become a warrior scholar and support Shiva for president. Thank you.